Hello, and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy, and soulfully grow. I'm your host, Ewan Sang. This episode, I'm joined by Olivia Sibine. Olivia is an award-winning entrepreneur making the top 10 UK Women Entrepreneurs 2019 in the Wise 100 Top Women in Social Business a trailblazing ethical investment champion who left a career at Goldman Sachs to launch her food tech startup, Grub Club, which she sold to Eat With in 2017. She went on to launch Seed Tribe, a platform focused specifically on connecting impactful businesses marrying profit and purpose with investors. She's a board member of UCL's Fast Forward 2030, which aims to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs to launch businesses that address the UN's Sustainable Development Goals as well as being Vice Chair of the Mayor of London's Women in Clean Tech Task Force. She's also an advisor to the UK Department for International Trade, enabling more impactful entrepreneurs from around the world to scale their businesses relocate to the UK. Liv is driven by the desire to see a world where all businesses marry profit and purpose. She feels that entrepreneurship and meaningful collaboration play a key part in achieving this goal. Welcome, Liv. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here and I'm Really happy to be having this conversation, which I think is extremely timely and, and very important. Why do you think entrepreneurs and founders are becoming uh, more conscious and want to contribute and do good? I would say if we go back to the basics of when businesses first started growing in the industrial age, you had the likes of you know, Bourneville and Cabri and all of these companies and Roundtree. And they actually looked at business in a very different way, which was to form an integral part of the community and to really contribute to it and, and be a part of it, not how it's developed in terms of just purely looking at growing your profit and just accounting to your shareholders and not worrying about anything else. And I think in a way, this sort of perfect storm of the world of COVID, COP, fires, floods, Black Lives Matter, all of these really big crises that have come to the fore and bubbled all around the same time have amplified the cracks in society that were already existing. And I think in a way, painful as they have been in particular for those who are the hardest hit in the first place, at the same time, it's sort of brought this inevitability of the fact that we need to do business differently. And honestly, out of all of the impacts socially and environmentally in the world, business has driven the worst cracks in social and environmental challenges, whether it's regards to pollution or slave labor, um, just to kind of name a few obvious ones. So I think they've served as a never let a good crisis go to waste. They've served as a very good catalyst to help people realize why we should do business differently. So I think there's both a business imperative as well as quite simply a sort of wonderful existentialist questioning of thinking, why are we here? Why not do business in a way that actually brings joy and unity and contributes to the world in a way that is holistic rather than just caring about the bottom line with no concern about anything else. You're absolutely right. And even now, the metrics that we use are out of kilter and are all perverse in many ways. I mean, we look at how a farmer, for example, there is no incentive for them to produce drugs cheaply or to produce drugs that, you know, just make people well so they no longer have to use the drugs anymore. The commercial model around that just does not work. But to bring it back towards our community part, and this is a bit that 
that certainly rings home with me and something you just mentioned there around making people happy. I watched a TV program the other day, Afterlife, it was called, and there's a quote, happiness is so amazing, it doesn't matter if it's yours. And it's such a lovely quote. And I think that brings it back to what you were saying around COVID and the impact that it's had on people our businesses as well, in the sense that it has brought communities a bit closer together and with businesses and business owners as well. Being able to see the good that you can make is not the right thing to motivate, you know, but it feels good. It feels good to, to be able to see that difference in your local community and things are all a bit closer to home as well. What do you think are the key challenges that founders face to want to seek and engage with their local community? Where do you think the difficulties might be? I would urge people to firstly embrace the difficulties because I think it's in understanding the, the messiness. And I think actually, to be honest, part of the problems we have in the world stem from the fact that we are increasingly simplifying everything and working in silos. If you look at nature and people starting to look at nature-based solutions, it's actually understanding the intricacies of how everything is closely linked. And if you bring that metaphor to the idea of a community, I think, you know, rather than shying away from any of the challenges, firstly, I would urge people to lean into them because that is partly where the excitement happens, the magic happens, but that's where the real difference happens. So yes, it can be challenging because part of the challenge is that you might come in with a particular perspective and you don't know what image you might have within the local community and people might be cynical or have their own challenges in the first place. That could be a barrier. So I think it's important when working with a local community, firstly, not to assume that that we're going to go in there as this knight in shining armor and just rescue people. And so quite simply, one of the basic things would just be to open a dialogue with the community and really understand what it's like in the community and what their needs are, what their concerns are, and have open, transparent, honest dialogues without hiding anything or sugarcoating anything. Because... For me, you know, a business has a physical location, even though there's potentially nuance to that since COVID. Um, But ultimately, there is a place-based element to a business. And that's our workplace. That also includes if people working from home, that's also being involved in that local community as well, while also wearing part of a business hat in there. So actually really just delving deep, taking the time to listen carefully, I think is extremely important in order to not impose onto a community what we think is the best thing to do. Another thing I would say is understanding what the business does and thinking, is there some kind of value that they could add with the speciality that they are bringing themselves? And is there something that the local community could benefit from? So I think bringing them along on the journey with you, helping them understand who you are and where you could add value in the most constructive possible way. In my previous life, I worked at a financial services company, you can see on my LinkedIn, but I won't name it. And we used to do these local community days. And I thought there was such a waste because we would go and funny as it was getting away from our desks, we would spend the day painting a wall or planting flowers or something like that. And I actually thought, you know, we were extremely highly skilled workers who could have actually added so much more value in the community if we'd actually used those same skills to support people in charities and local enterprises or even in small local businesses. So I think rather than shying away from one speciality, bringing these skills into the community where they're most needed is extremely valuable. 
such good points to make there, definitely. And the point about listening as well, like founders, generally speaking, they're probably quite confident or at least they come across that way. And, you know, certainly their appetite to risk is slightly different to other people and things like this. And I think you're right. There needs to be certainly a degree of confidence in the persona because you're taking a bit of a risk and you can't go for it. And it's how do you temper that when we're working with local community? And your point about listening carefully, I think it's so and so critical towards doing that. I remember reading somewhere, I think it was in one of the Scandinavian countries, so they're obviously always amazing at everything. And one of the towns where the local businesses realized that collectively all of them were spending two million or something, whatever it might be, on energy costs every year. So they created an energy corporate, like an energy wholesaler, and they kept the money local. And that way, they're able to maintain some value that they created, they kept it within that local community. And another really wonderful story, we, we were asked to do a workshop over in um, Serbia a few years ago with British Council, and we were doing it at this place called Mokran House. And Mokran House is this amazing space. It's like a few buildings put together, very modern, super fast internet, got the road of the, you know, organic garden and things. And the guy who set it up, I won't even try and pronounce his name because it's a really tricky uh, West Balkan name. But he left this little village, and at the time, it was like 16,000 population or something like that. He set up the first paid-for TV station in Slovenia, sold it, came back again. And the town had gone from 16,000 to 6,000. And so his philosophy was that, you know, you don't need to move away. You don't need to leave these rural settings in order to make a living or to be part of the modern kind of economies and stuff. And that's why it's a mock house. And I think this is the thing. They have village people that will come in and they've not just given them a job, but also, you know, in terms of their skills. So they have like digital nomads that come along and they have like teaching days and things like this. So I think you're absolutely right. It's about how you engage with the local community and be that you know, schools or hospices or whatever it might be. And to your point about not being you know the shining knight, riding in on their horse. I think this is it. You hear that phrase being used quite a lot, don't you? And that approach is not particularly useful in the sense that it can create almost like an animosity with the with the mm. local community, especially if it's like an outsider coming in, right? Yeah. I mean, it's almost screams of sort of repeat, you know, microcosmic repeat of colonialism. It's going to come and save someone actually just coming in on their level and just realizing that we are another part of the community. And how can we integrate it, I think, creates much better value and support and actually much better long-term support as well. Yeah. Peter and Paul, who, who we're working with on, on Beautiful Business, they have lovely turn of phrase, by the way. Uh, but one of their favorite phrases, and we don't want to throw a tissue paper on the fire, you know, where it burns brightly, but then it's gone. And I think this is another consideration that we have to make is what we do as founders, if we are going to make a positive difference, it can't be a flash in the pan. You know, we need to think in that longer term yeah. piece. Yeah. And that really exemplifies the whole perspective on how I personally see business needing to change, which is having that long-term view and really actually taking things, you know, more slowly. And it's interesting as I work in the startup investment world with with one of my hats, Seed Tribe. And it's interesting because there's this sort of slightly uncomfortable dichotomy and jarring of values and goals, I guess, because actually you have startup world is modeled on Silicon Valley and everyone looks to grow the next unicorn and investors won't look at an entrepreneur unless they have that attractive, unfeasible looking hockey stick growth curve. And actually for me, that's very boom or bust culture. And it's based around go big or go home. And there's nothing in the middle. And unless you are going to be a unicorn, you're essentially a failure. And for me, that is very much at odds with a lot of the 
way that I feel business should work. And I'm working hard to create other incentive structures to better align investors and corporates and other stakeholders to the long-term value of a business. Because um, I think the more impactful you are, the more by definition you have to look at that slow and deep embedding into the entire system, whether we're talking about community or environmental society. So community is a perfect example of why it's so important to think long-term, but it does require a slight reframing of how we have culturally been led to recently believe that businesses should grow. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And there's so much that we could go really deep into. It's almost like a consumerist attitude towards investment. When they just, just chuck the investments out there, but it's just you know, one that comes away. The rest of them is a cost of sale. And there's more to that. You know, there's more to that. But even on that level, the time, effort, the energy, the blood, sweat, and tears that a farm puts into their business to be cast aside like that doesn't work. But to your point about communities and having a lasting impact, I think the danger that founders can have is just, as you said, with the financial institution that you used to work for, almost over the easy box tick exercise, let's go paint all the room for them. Let's do a bake sale or, you know, whatever it might be. Whilst they look nice and they feel nice at the time. The question is going to be, what is that lasting impact? You know, are we creating that systemic change that's needed to really move things in the right direction for local communities? If it's a particularly deprived area, then thinking about that whole concept of do we give them a fish or do we give them a fishing rod? You know, and we have to go towards enabling that and movement. And, and, and as entrepreneurs and as founders, you know, we're a unique position to be able to do that sort of thing. I've got a question about company culture, actually. And given you mentioned Seed Tribe and you mentioned some of the founders that you work with and you mentioned some of the organizations that you work with as well, what part do you see founders playing in terms of creating that culture, these kind of values within their organizations? What are your thoughts in terms of the people side of things? Mm. I mean, I come from an HR background historically, so I'm probably quite, <laughs> probably quite biased in this answer. But to me, that is the key that underpins everything. And I read a quote recently, which I'm going to slightly paraphrase, but it was say something like, culture laughs in the face of strategy. And what that meant was really that you can strategize all you like, but unless you're going to embed it into the culture, then actually none of it is going to transpire. So I thought that was a good representation of this in particular. And ultimately, I sort of, you were mentioning systemic change earlier, and I really think that is absolutely key. And for me, the change that we need to see in society, that we all have a duty to delightful duty actually to take a part in changing it needs to come from every level so from this perspective in terms of culture i believe that the leader is there to set the tone for the culture and that then transpires through the whole organization but at the same time hopefully that becomes a sort of you know circular process of inspiring your employees who therefore also build it from the bottom up so i think the culture is extremely important because it enables you to empower your employees and to have a voice and therefore be able to contribute along the way as well. And then that should not just translate into your people, but into all of the processes and in terms of how you work with your suppliers. So it really has a sort of trickle down effect all around and it it comes from the leader, but I believe that the leader is the catalyst and then it should follow and feed back from every direction. Thank you so much, Olivia, for joining us for this beautiful business podcast. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, and it's always so inspiring to hear your story and what you're doing to create a positive impact in the world. Thank you for joining us for this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business. 
Join us next time for more interesting discussion on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk.